First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three. Appreciate the Sunday school hour this morning and kind of goes a little bit along with what I'm going to speaking about this morning. First Corinthians three, as we continue through this book, I'm going to start at, pick up at verse nine. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, "For we are laborers together with God; ye are God's husbandry; ye are God's building." According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, Taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours. And ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. So the title of the message this morning, God's Building Plan. God's Building Plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for the promise that we do have your words preserved for us. And Father, I pray you'd help us just to trust your word, to depend upon it and to act upon it, to obey its precepts and keep its commandments for our good and for thy glory. We do pray this morning as we look into the word of God that we would allow you to examine our hearts, our motives, our methods. Uh, Father, the materials we're using to build our lives. I pray that we would uh, allow you to just instruct us and teach us and challenge us. And Lord, if there be any in our midst who do not know the Lord as their personal Savior and Lord, I pray that they realize their need of Thee. So have Your will and way, and may You be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you were looking for a house, to buy a house today, what would you consider to be the most important part of that house? The way this it looks on the surface. You know, many people focus on the interior finishes, the floors, the carpet, the wallpaper, the countertops, or the light fixtures. You know, it's fairly easy to tell if those things are installed correctly. I mean, you can tell if paint is spread evenly, if the coverage is adequate. 
And these items are things owners look at every day, so it's important they are quality components that have been properly installed. But are they the most critical components? You know, the foundation is the most important part of any structure. It is crucial to the structural integrity of a house. Without a a, a solid foundation, everything in the house is in danger of falling apart. You say, well, it won't affect the paint. Yes, it will. Because if you've got a faulty foundation, the walls are going to crack. I've been in houses where there's a wrinkle in the wall. You know, the paint, the paper of the wall, there's a wrinkle. You know, if you want level floors, you need a level foundation. If you want stable walls that are not constantly cracking and shifting, you need a stable foundation. By the way, the roof rests on the walls, which rests on the foundation. You see, the foundation is something that's rarely seen, but is the most important part of any building. And the Bible here in this passage refers or compares a church to two things. There's two things he mentions, but he he builds on one of them. And one of them, he compares it to a husbandry. If you notice in verse 9, for where labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And a husbandry refers to a cultivated field. And it's the same idea. It's the same, it's just a different illustration of what he's trying to say. You know, a cultivated field, we, you know, like we say in the spring, well, we need to get the garden tilled up. What do we mean? Well, we need to cultivate it so it's ready to receive seed so that that seed will germinate and grow properly. We, we, you have to prepare the soil. That's foundational to having a crop. I mean, I could throw seed out there. but it doesn't do anything. Just throw it out there. And, and you know, uh, a little bit of it might grow. But if I till that garden and prepare it to receive seed, you know, I can, I can be more assured of a harvest. He also compares a church to a building. Uh, the word building here refers to a body of Christians, a Christian church. He uses this over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 19 through 22 also. Paul, when writing to the church at Ephesus, again, referring to them as a building or comparing them to a building. In, in Ephesians two nineteen, he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saint and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we are being compared to a building. And in a building, if you were to build a building today, there are construction standards that you must meet. We call them building codes. Now, those of us that have been involved in buildings don't always appreciate all the building codes there are. But however, be that as it may, there are building codes that are a good thing. Because if there were not building codes, you know, there'd be a lot of houses, there'd be a lot of people get ripped off. Because most people have no idea what is required to go into a building to keep it standing. How big do the 
How big do the floor joists have to be? You know, I was in a house up in wood some years ago, and the floors went like this. Now, when they built it originally, they built it big enough, but what happened is moisture got in there and it was rotted. But, you know, if you... But I was also at a, at a house where uh, a guy built on addition to his trailer, and, and we, he asked us for a price, and uh, a friend of mine and I went over and looked at it, and we gave him a price, and he, he just thought that was too much money, so he got somebody else. said, well, you know, I talked to my friend, and I said, do you think we can do it? He said, no. I said, well, then we're not going to do it. So he got somebody else to build it on, and uh, the guy was uh, working on the drywall, and and uh, he stapled drywall paper to the wall and then tried to mud over it. Now, you have to put mud on the wall and then put the paper into the mud to make it stick. And so he fired him. And he called us <laughs> to come over and fix things. So Nathan and I went over, and we were working on it, and then we built, he wanted a little addition built on the front there uh, for a little porch like for an office. And I got to look under the roof of this addition that this man built for him. I mean, it's just built. It's six months, no, long, no older than six months, and the roof goes like this. I mean, it was sinking at least six, eight inches from top to bottom in the center. And I pointed it out to him, and I said, you got a real problem with that roof. And it hadn't even snowed on it. You know. And uh, I said, you want me to look at it? He said, Yes. He said, I don't know, that guy knew what he was doing. Obviously, he didn't. So I went up and looked in, and he had put, he had run two before rafters 14 feet. I think it was 14 feet, and no support from top to bottom. I don't know if you could legally do a 2 by 8 that long. You maybe could. Nathan could probably tell you. But those two befores were already bowing. And I said, he put two before us, and he said, he did what? He said, he showed me a picture. I thought, sure, there were two before six. I said, no, there are two before us. I said, the only way to fix it is put a, put a support beam in halfway up. And so, to make a long story short, we did. You see, if, if we didn't have construction standards, a lot of houses would fall down within a, rel- rel- uh, a relatively short time. You see, there are... There are construction standards that must be met. There's plans, blueprints that must be approved. And we have authorities that are trained or skilled to make sure those standards are obeyed. Sometimes we wonder if they're all skilled. But but they are supposed to be trained to make sure those standards are all kept and obeyed. That the building is built according to the blueprints and the plans. Now, most people never look at the blueprints. They never look at the plants. They don't even consider that. They just look at, oh, what's the kitchen like? Are the kitchen cabinets nice? Are the floors beautiful? And do I like the paint colors? And they rarely look at the foundation or the structure, what it's built with. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. And this is what Paul is challenging the church at Corinth with. And I want you to notice several things here this morning. First of all, there are commissioned builders. 
They are commission builders. If you notice in verses 9 and 10, he says, For we are laborers together. He said we. He's referring to himself, Apollos, and Cephas. Those are the three that are mentioned several times in, in the first three chapters of this book. And Again, they're mentioned in, in verse 22 where it says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. So he says we. Now, so he's talking about those three. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And then verse 10 he says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. So Paul laid the foundation for the church. He was the one that initially started. Apollos came along later and spent some time there. He built on it. And so, so Paul's saying, we are laborers together with God. We're in this together. We're not divided. Of course, that was part of the problem. They were not divided. But he said, we are, we are commission builders. And he says in verse 10, he said, I am a wise master builder. Now, and he, all this, of course, is according to the grace of God. You know, the capacity, that word grace has the idea of capacity and ability due to the grace of God. So God gave Paul the ability to be a wise master builder of churches. And that word wise simply means skilled. And a master builder refers to an architect, the superintendent in the erection of buildings. And, and Paul was a, a wise master builder, and he was commissioned or he was authorized to do this by the church at Antioch. You know, if you're going to be a building inspector or a septic inspector, as you know, some of you guys are, you have to be authorized. You know, God has established, God has established an authority to keep the foundation and see that our building, quote-unquote, that is our church, and thereby our lives are built according to the blueprints, the Word of God. And it is the church that is to authorize those skilled in life building to lead and teach. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave His people a place and people that He chose to lead them in their relationship with the Lord. To lead them to the Lord and in their relationship to, with the Lord. You know, it, in, in the days of, of, the, the, uh, of Moses and up until uh, Solomon's time, it was a tabernacle. And then in Solomon's day, of course, the temple was built, which replaced the tabernacle. And God showed that, demonstrated very clearly that that was the place, that was the place of authority by, by his presence, the Shekinah glory God, filling the tabernacle and then filling the temple. And, of course, we see this in the New Testament and, and, you know, they were, and excuse me, let me back up. They were not to build their own high places, nor appoint their own priests. You know, there were people that decided they didn't want to go to Jerusalem anymore. Or maybe it was they didn't like the priest. Maybe, maybe the priest didn't accept their sacrifice because it wasn't acceptable by God's standard. And of course, Jeroboam built altars in and Bethel, and Dan, and chose some priests out of the vilest of people. You know, they, they, they began to chose their own high places and, and appoint their own priests. And, and when they did this, the written record is it brought confusion, it brought compromise, and ultimate destruction of the nation. 
Now, we come to the New Testament and the coming of Christ and the first church. And, of course, Jesus was the pastor of that first church, Church of Jerusalem. And he chose and he authorized Peter. You remember what he said to Peter? You know, Peter said, I'm not, never denied it. And Peter said, and the Lord told him that you're going to deny me three times. But he said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And you come to John 21, and he tells Peter, he asks Peter, Peter, lovest thou me? You know, he asked him that three times. And then he tells Peter, you feed my sheep. And the word feed there is shepherd. Peter, I'm choosing you. Choosing you. I'm commissioning you. I'm authorizing you to be the pastor when I depart. And then you come to Acts chapter 1, verse 26. And one of the pastoral staff killed himself, Judas, we know that. And so they want to replace him. And I want you to notice this. You know, we don't, Jesus is not here. But you know, Peter is here. And, and Peter, as the pastor, the head pastor, uh, leads in this. But I want you to notice what they do to choose the next person to be on the pastoral staff. It says, and they. You know, Peter just didn't appoint it says, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Mattathias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. They gave. You see, the disciples choose Judas' replacement by a vote among themselves. They cast their lots, or their votes. And of course, this is, this is consistent with Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 18. And, and, you know, and then we, you know, if we move along through the scriptures, we see this pattern that the church, it becomes the church authorizes those that are sent out as builders of churches. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, uh, you know, the, 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 the Christians are scattered abroad after the persecution of Stephen. And in verse 19 it says, And they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the Lord was not with them, and great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which is at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So, the, so they hear that these, this, there's a group of Grecians, or uh, Gentiles get saved, and so the church at Jerusalem sends Barnabas. Now don't miss this. They commission Barnabas. They authorize Barnabas to go to Antioch. And establish a church. What we see here is churches authorize men to go out and start churches. And so a church is born here and established, it becomes autonomous. That means it is self governing body of Christ. And you know what they do in chapter 13? 
They don't consult the church of Jerusalem over what to do next. They're now governing themselves. And so they're meeting and they're praying and they're preaching and they're teaching. And it says in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1, There were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon. It's called Niger and Lucius, the Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed on to Seleucia. From thence they sailed to Cyprus. So they, in turn, do what the church at Jerusalem does. They authorize and send out some of their own. Now, notice they are a self-governing, what we call an autonomous church. They didn't consult Mother Church. See, churches aren't to have hierarchies over them. Yeah, we don't have to answer to Calvary. We're self-governing. We can send out man. We have that authority. And so they sent out, they authorized, or they commissioned Barnabas and Saul to go start other churches. And that's why Paul said, I'm a wise master builder. I've been commissioned, I've been authorized to do this. And this is the method we see throughout the Bible. And it's consistent with with the scriptures. Notice here they were sent out by the Spirit and the church. Remember from Sunday night's message, the spirit and the bride say come. See, Scripture is consistent. If your church won't send you, you better reconsider whether you're called. See, what often happens is if their church will not authorize, ordain, or recognize their call their call, they go look for another self-ordained preacher who will. See, a church has, and a church has authority to recall those it authorizes. We could, we could take back ordination of a man. And that would, what that would say to the world is, don't you listen to this guy. Don't you follow him. His doctrine is off. Or he is disqualified for some reason. You see, the fruit of not following the New Testament model has been much confusion and compromise in the work of God. It has compromised God's ordained authority that would keep in check false doctrines and practices that are spread by freelance preachers who are not accountable to anyone. They're self-ordained. They are without proper examination and authorization to be, as Paul said, I am a wise master builder. In other words, I am skilled in this. God has given me a skill in this. And it's been recognized by the church. Again, all by the grace of God. You know, we have, by the way, we have some examples of freelance preachers in the New Testament. Look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. There were those already in Paul's day that were doing this very thing. Acts chapter 19 and verse 13. 
Uh, of course, you know, Paul was working miracles, and this is at Ephesus. And it says in verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, which took upon, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the evil spirit, and the man in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You see, people were now aware or put in fear of following somebody who wasn't unauthorized. You see, God ordained authority as a church, and the church authorizes a man to lead. And we have examples of this in real life. Think about it. The young lady's getting married, and her dad walks her down the aisle. And they get to the front, and they stand before the preacher, and the preacher says, Who giveth this woman to be married to this man? In other words, who is the authority that can say this woman can marry this man? He says, I do. You know, you know what we're seeing in, a, in, a, in, our, in our nation and even in our churches because that's not followed? You know, we have young people that want to get married, but they don't want to submit to dad. Oh, they, they, want, they want their parents to, to approve of it and give their blessing, but they just don't want to follow their advice. Or the authority that God has set up to protect them. See, God sets up authority to protect us, not to prevent us from doing what we're supposed to do. No, to protect us from going into error. And there's a lot of error out there being taught because churches haven't exercised their authority or church's authority is not recognized. You see, a building requires proper planning, preparation, and a superintendent. And a church requires a superintendent pastor, missionary, to see that the right foundation is laid and good building materials are used. And that brings us to the point number two. There are custom materials that is made to order. They're made to order. Now, I want you to notice several things here. First of all, a sure foundation, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is a, there's only the, you know, we need to have a sure foundation. Just as in any building, you need a, a right or a sure foundation uh, to, to ensure that the structure that's built on it will uh, stand the test of time. And so in our Christian life, and, and, you know, and for, to establish church, we need a sure foundation. The word foundation means the beginning or first principles, the doctrines of salvation, or, and we're starting with the person of Christ. You know, the foundation is Jesus Christ. 
We need to know who Jesus Christ is and have a right relationship with Him. And of course, Paul, in, in this book, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he addresses that issue in, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Now notice this phrase, according to the Scriptures. You see, Christ is a Savior, a sacrifice that is according to the Scriptures. In other words, He fits the blueprints the qualifications that are set down in the Old Testament scriptures concerning an acceptable sacrifice for sin. He met them all. Remember, the lamb had to be a lamb without blemish, without spot. It was a lamb that was foreordained from the foundation of the world. It had to be without blemish and without spot. He had to be out of the out of the tribe of, or the, the, the family of David, the tribe of David. He had to be born in Bethlehem. You know, there are many things that the scriptures give us in the Old Testament concerning the person of Christ. We know that he had to die. He had to be pierced. We also know that he would be resurrected. Again, Verse 4 says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know, the, the, you know, you know his was a substitutionary sacrifice that he had no sin, nothing to cause him to be put to death. And yet he died in our place. He was buried and he was resurrected the third day. And the resurrection proves who he is. He was not an ordinary man. He is the Son of God with power. And we must come to Him by repentance and faith. That was the message. In Acts chapter 20, and this is the message throughout the book of Acts, all the apostles, Jesus preached it, Paul, uh, John the Baptist preached it, uh, Paul, Peter, all the, they, they preached this message. And Paul, in uh, Acts 20, 20, and 21, he says, How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to accept what God says about His Son, accept what God says about us, that we are deserving, we can't save ourselves, we can't make ourselves righteous. It's all Him. It's, it's all Him that made Paul a wise master builder. It's all of Him, and we must receive Him as our Lord and as our Savior. Put our faith and trust in Him. So there needs to be a sure foundation. But there also needs to be quality structural materials. Look at verse 12. Now, if any man built upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, there's really two groups of materials here. There's gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, I want you to think about gold, silver, and precious stones. 
Are they easy to get? Yeah. They're not easily accessible. In fact, you have to be, they have to be hunted and dug up. You have to dig them up. You don't find it just laying on the ground. It has to be dug up. Now, wood, hay, and stubble, they're perishables. They're found on the surface of the earth. They're easy to get. They're gained with minimal labors. And these are the materials with which we build our lives, and we are commanded to be skillful builders. Many of you probably remember reading the story of the three little pigs. You know, there was a day when stories had real-life lessons. Well, even that story has a real-life lesson. You know, the first pig built his house out of straw, and he had it erected quickly. And I mean, and he could just lay back and enjoy life, and he didn't have to work, you know. And, and, uh, and then the second one, he builds his house of sticks. Now, it took a little bit more work, but, but again, it was, it was easily accessed that he got his materials, and he was, it was quickly uh, put up. And, and However, their houses could not withstand the attack of the predator, the big bad wolf. who was out to destroy them. But the third pig, he spent time and work and work and more work and money to build a house out of bricks. And while they were laughing and having a good time and partying, he was working. He put... He invested to build a solid house that would stand the test. See, too many are like the first and second pig. They want peace at any price. They want delivered from their problems without facing their problems and dealing with their sin that is the cause of their problems. We want an instant gospel that we can try without surrender of the heart or the will. We go to a church where the preacher's funny and entertaining and one that has a lot of programs to keep us occupied. Or one that makes the message easier to accept. That doesn't challenge my worldly thinking or my pet sin. No, the Bible says pastors are to declare the whole counsel of God. You know, that means that sometimes we have to clear away the rubbish of the world and lay a good foundation. You know, many of us adults grew up in circumstances where we picked up a lot of rubbish that we had to unlearn to come to a good foundation and right understanding of God and his word. You know, Titus chapter 2 speaks to this in, in verses 11 through 15 where he says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 
looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You see, we are to reach into the hearts with the word of God. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of the matter, and is a discerner of the hearts and intent, thoughts and intents of the hearts. You see, we need to reach into our hearts, the word of God, examining our attitudes, our motives, our thoughts, because thoughts lead to actions. You know what my brother's problem is? He's not thinking right. It's his thoughts. We have to get to the root of the sin and not just treat the symptoms. Somebody just wants the symptoms treated. And hang on to the cause of their sin. See, we need to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, there are lots of people, organizations that are building, quote, churches quickly. But what do they have in the end? See, we must use, take time, and invest. You know, that's why we have a Bible study we use. So we can lay a good foundation, a good understanding of what salvation really is. Because we are going to face, number three, a quality inspection. Now, this is what we builders don't like, is this inspection. But we're going to face... Equality inspection. Notice verses 13 through 15. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall show every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You know, every man's work is going to be made manifest. It's going to be made known. He's going to declare it. It's going to be made known by relating. It's going to be tried. He says the word try means to test or examine of what sort, what quality it is. You know, when the average person goes to buy his house, they don't ask, did you use two befores in the wall? Or did you use two batus? Now, if you buy a mobile home, you might end up with two batus. Most of them are two batus in the walls. And they're not, it's not really hard to destroy a mobile home. But no, if you want a good solid house, you want at least two befores in the wall. See, quality materials. And we're going to be tested or tried. We're going to be given this quality inspection. So the question we need to ask ourselves is... Will our works, will what we build upon stand the tests of this inspection by the Word of God? You know, one of the things the Bible says in several places, 
and, and you know, God is specific about things. In Exodus 25, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he said this, Exodus 25, 40. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. In Hebrews 8, 5. Again, he says, who serve under the tab- example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mat. And so, the writer of Hebrews is using that as a destruction to show that we are to build churches and we are to build our lives according to the scriptures. You know, in the Old Testament, Solomon built high places and they offered sacrifices there and they offered those sacrifices to God. But God was not pleased. Because he said, you're not to offer it on the high places. You're to offer it in the temple. You're to have the priest inspect it. If they were out in a high place, there was no priest to inspect it to make sure that sacrifice was acceptable to God. In Malachi, they were offering sacrifices to God, but they're bringing the lame, the blind, the lame. And again, they were offering to God, but God was not well pleased. That's wood, hay, stubble. And Paul in this passage is saying, look, we're to build our lives according to the method that showed us in the Scripture under the authority of those that God has set up and not according to human wisdom or human reasoning or false science. Notice in in verse uh, uh, 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness of God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. I remember when we were going to look at buildings to rent when we started the church. And Pastor Green and I met a guy up on 96 Highway, almost to Route 1, close to where we live. And uh, he was... He was uh, he professed to be a Christian. But he was in some contemporary church, and and uh, he was talking about you know I'll rent you for this price in three years it's going to double, and and then five years down the road it's going to be higher again. But he said I have no doubt that you know this this will just take off and you know and it'll just you know, he just well it'll it'll just boom you know that's kind of his his philosophy. If you use worldly wisdom, that's that is what happens. People are attracted to attractions. Entertainment. Motivational speakers. I'm sorry, I'm, I don't think I'm a very motivational speaker. No, that isn't what, what we're to use to build a church. No, we're to use the methods that God gave us His Word. It is repentance and faith. If you're not willing to repent, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If we build with a faulty foundation, fake materials, gimmicks, unscriptural methods that change the message of God, God will destroy our temple. This is the temple of God. And he says there, if, 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Verse 16. The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. See, God will destroy our temple. He'll destroy our church. It will cease to be one of his candlesticks. It's interesting to me that in verse 16, he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And it's a question. Look, if you cease to follow God's blueprints, God will cease to be among you. It may still have a name, a meeting place, and members. But the Lord won't be there. Look at the churches of Revelation. And every one of them, every one of them, he gave a warning. And the warning was, Yes, I removed my candlestick. You see, the, Lord, the Lord's plan is that we have fruit that remains. So when the judgment comes and we are tried, our fruit is purified. It's lasting. It's not just temporal. You know, it is, it is self-deception and foolish to think that we can build without following the Lord's building codes. We can't change his, you know, if we change his blueprints, his methods, his message, you know, this is one of the things that we see a lot today that's become acceptable. Some alternate lifestyles are becoming acceptable. Somebody said to me just recently about their mother lived with the same man for this so many years. I, I guess that's okay. That's what he said. I guess that's okay. I said it may be accepted in society, but still adultery in the eyes of God. But see, that's becoming accepted. They call it common law marriages. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we building according to his plans? Are we submitting ourselves to his building codes? To his commandments? Things that he says we are to do and things he says we are not to do. Things that we are to put on and things that we are to put off. Are we, have we accepted his standards? Are we submissive to his spirit? You know, who is building our life? Am I just doing what I want? Or am I seeking to do His will in every area of my life? You know, a lot of, a lot of Christians have this idea. This is just one example, I think. That as long as I give my tithe to the Lord, the rest of my money I can do whatever I want with. No, God said we're stewards of what he has given us. Now, he's not asking us we give a 100%. He is saying we ought to give tithes and offerings, but to use whatever God else God gives us for his glory. That may be investing so that you can give more. 
but it ought not to be just for selfish gains. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, who is building? Are we building our lives according to his plan? Are we following those he's authorized as the master builders? You know, that's something to think about when a missionary calls. That's something I think about when a missionary calls and says he wants to come to our church. This is the first question I ask. What church are you out of? Of course, who has authorized you? So, are you building your life according to his plan? Will it stand the test of his judgment?